According to Tom Rainer, 6% of churches in America are effective in evangelism. Let's change the statistic. Welcome to GoCast, a podcast designed to inspire and equip pastors and leaders to lead soul-winning churches. We have a mission to go and make disciples. This is GoCast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to GoCast. I'm your host, Kelly Stickle, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Tim Tribble. How are you doing today, Tim? Good. Always a pleasure to be here. It's so awesome, awesome. I got a big question for you before we get into uh, today's podcast. Have you ever felt... Uh, depressed or battled depression or kind of felt on the edge of burnout? Oh my gosh. You know, I think Kelly, I think this is, this is the cancer of the church, to be honest. Like when you get involved, you start volunteering, you want to give it your go and, and give it your best and you push and you push and you push, but then you lose your priorities at some point and you lose time management. And at some point it just all comes crumbling down. And I heard uh, Larry Bryce say once that, you know, it's really good to start that way, but it's a horrible way to sustain yourself. Wow. That's so, so true. It's so good. I, I know uh, for myself, uh, being very vulnerable and honest, uh, this summer is actually probably the the most difficult time that I've had in 20-some years of mm. ministry, just emotionally um, feeling exhausted I don't know, and not being able to refresh myself like, you know, the, the typical ways of refreshing myself right. weren't working in the same way they had before. And so... At the end of the summer, I ended up reconnecting with uh, my friend, uh, Mike Tatlock, and Mike and I hadn't uh, connected since 1992. We graduated from the same high school. Huh. We were friends in high school, um, and we um, just dated myself that's right there. That's when bullets were cool, right? <laughs> yeah, that's almost. <laughs> um, and we, uh, we hadn't connected since then, and mm. yet for some reason he felt you know, necessary to, to reach out to me and took me for a coffee. And, so cool. and uh, he's from Portland. You know, we're, I'm from Lethbridge. We connected in Calgary. He was coming up here for a conference and, and we got together for a coffee. And at that coffee, he shared a little bit about his story, which he's going to share a, a touch of it today uh, in our podcast. And it, his story was amazing because he felt on the edge of burnout. Mm -hmm. He actually couldn't get physically out of bed. And then he had to prepare for a sermon. So he was literally preparing for that message in bed Wow! and read this scripture in Galatians 3, 3. Uh, and it says that, uh, hey, you fool, are you? <laughs> it's a nice <laughs> way to start. Version, right? Yeah, no, it's actually, it's, but it says, hey, foolish Galatians and hey, you guys, you fools. Yeah. You started out strong in the spirit, but now you're operating out of the flesh. Mm. And that really... Uh, uh, jolted him. And when he shared that scripture with me, it, quite honestly, it was like something hit my chest. Wow. I, like, I was like, that that was it. And going, okay, you know everything to do in the flesh. You've worked all the systems. You've yeah. done all, all of that. And yet maybe uh, it's not about the systems. It's not about the practice. It's literally about the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, I, I got to learn how to shift and refocus my emphasis on where I, my source of strength comes from. Come on. And uh, and so it's amazing how in burnout and in tiredness, yeah. you pull away from the things that often help you the most. Yeah. Your prayer time suffers, your word time suffers, uh, yet that's the time to press in the most. So mm -hmm. uh, that co uh, conversation with, with Mike really shifted things for me and kind of started uh, making a, a change, and I made a change immediately in where my focus was. And uh, so I'm hoping that this podcast is really going to help those of you who are listening and 
watching as well who are might be going through or might be feeling more tired than normal, might be going through uh, depressions or a sense of a feeling of burnout. Uh, you need to listen to this conversation with Pastor Mike Tatlock. He's the lead pastor of Grace Chapel in Portland, Oregon. He's also, uh, funny enough, he's the the chaplain of the Portland Trailblazers NBA nice. team. So he's yeah he's an amazing guy, great friend, and we'll go to our conversation now with Pastor Mike Tatlock. Well, hey Mike, welcome to GoCast. It's so good to have you on the program, my friend. So good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. So, man, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in in ministry, and in particular, how you came to to be the lead pastor at Grace Chapel in Portland, Oregon. Man, yeah, that's that's been a crazy journey. You know, uh, here I am in my mid forties and uh, started pastor work back when I was twenty twenty two and doing youth work. But I told myself I would never be a pastor. <laughs> I was, uh, there ain't no way I'm touching that. Like, why? Why would anyone want to sign up for that? You know, my dad being a pastor, and um, I just saw a lot of hard stuff, and and wasn't wasn't something I wanted to jump into. And then uh, I actually went the route of teaching, coming out of Bible college, uh, was part time teaching at a, at a Christian university here in in Portland, and then. Um, basically, there was a church, an inner city church that needed a, a pastor, and they hired me for a year. Mm. I thought, okay, I can I can work a year, you know, I can <laughs> I can do that. And uh, and basically, they didn't really even hire me as a pastor; they hired me as an outreach coordinator. Okay. And the whole goal was here was this church that was 125 years old, wow, an old limestone building, um, and just really was not connecting with the community around. Um, and inner city Portland has its own challenges, so. We jumped on board and said, hey, that'd be, that'd be actually pretty exciting, um, but I don't want to be a pastor. You know, I'll help you do that. And about six months into it, it was harder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> All the reasons why I said I didn't want to be a pastor, sure enough, <laughs> that's, why, that's why we don't do this. And, and it was crazy because it was, you know, usually when you find like what you're called to in life, you usually everything lines up perfect and you go, oh, I'm called to this. This was the opposite for me. It was it was hard work and, and reaching people in the community was really mm. difficult. And it was in that time that the Lord said, I've called you to this. And I think for me, that's when I, I felt that calling to be a pastor was, it was in the midst of the, the struggle. Wow. And I like, okay, Lord, I know if I'm have a desire to stay and do this, it's not because the circumstances or the work is, is easy. It's because I, I feel the, the heart and the passion and the burden for it. So wow. that was back in, um, 2000 and, uh, 2001. And then uh, you fast forward, we started doing some church planning, inner city out of that church. And then in uh, 2005, a good friend of mine who's a, who started the church I'm in now called Grace Chapel, he invited me to come on staff with a similar role. Mm. How do we reach the community? We're, it was a church that did really good Sunday mornings, but how to get out in the community. And so they hired me for that. Um, and then within three years, uh, became the lead pastor. And so I've been doing that now since, uh, gosh, 2000, 2008. And so it's been 10 years as the lead pastor here. That's awesome. So talk to us about, about Grace Chapel. What, t- tell us about the church. Where's that? What's happening in Portland? It's interesting. Uh, Portland is uh, its own vibe of church world. You know, everybody here talks about this competition between Washington State and Oregon being the most unchurched states. It's almost like this negative badge of honor that everybody wants to carry. And 
Um, and there's just unique challenges with being a pastor in, in Oregon. Yeah. There's a reason why um, that it is not a very popular state when it comes to church attendance. Well, Portland is known as, as one of the most liberal cities in, in the U.S., right? Yeah. It is. It is. It is known for being one of the most liberal cities. And, and interesting you bring that up, too, because um, there's a lot of what people would classify liberal worldviews that are unbiblical. And yet there's a lot of liberal worldviews that are actually biblical. That's true. Yeah. And so I think there's been a disconnect um, between how churches have worked and how non-believers in the Northwest perceive church. Right. Creates this chasm and a lot of assumptions are in there. And so what, what's been really good for us, though, a lot of the Portland pastors, um, there's, a, there's a powerful unity movement of pastors in Portland. We're all working together. There's a lot of co-laboring, a lot of it. We meet regularly. We pray for each other, support. Um, how do we get into the community? But one of the things that we all agree on is we can't do things as usual. Right. We can't sit there with that statistic and say we're the most unchurched state and then not ask ourselves, maybe it's us. What are we doing? I know there's spiritual darkness. Yes, there's that. And there's some uniqueness. But but what are we doing that we have to pop the hood on? And that's been really good and healthy for us to wow, do. Wow, that's so good. And that's, that's really shaped even our church. Um, you know, I remember being a church planner in downtown Portland. I thought, okay, here's the, here's the formula. <laughs> you, <laughs> you get a killer band, you know, have a really good message. Um, and in Portland, you better have really good coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That you got this great and people are going to line up to go to your church. Well, no, that's, that's not true at all. Um, so what we've had to work really hard on is uh, two things, obviously, um, keep doing church on Sundays that has to be there. But I think uh, two things that stand out to me is number one is people in Portland and uh, are very spiritually hungry. They really actually are seeking God. They really are seeking God. And, you know, there's all kinds of definitions they put to that. But um, what we have to figure out is how is church offering them that connection with, with God? Yeah. What are we doing that's really actually helping them have that connection, that experience, that encounter? And then the other thing, too, is how are we mobilizing our people that we cannot put all of our eggs in the basket of Sunday morning? Right. That's just not going to be the main strategy. We have to get outside of that, break down those paradigms, empower our people to be out in the community in a variety of different ways to build those bridges. So we've had to be way more proactive on the outreach side um, and not just rely on how great a Sunday morning service goes. That's really good. That's awesome. And we'll dig into that in a moment. But another interesting tidbit about you. All right. Is yeah. that you're also the chaplain for the Portland Trailblazer. So, OK, so. Got to ask, what's it like pastoring in the world of the NBA, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I tell you what, you, you and I both are sports fans. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, and you know more as well, too. You've worked with a lot of professional athletes, and there's what you see on TV, and then there's what you see in the locker room. And those are two totally different worlds. It's so true. And, and it's, it's an honor to be invited behind the scenes. It really is. Um, it's all about trust, as you know. And, yeah. um, and what's amazing, too, is I tell people this, that at least with the NBA, and I think this is true of most sports, they're mostly young adults. Yeah. And so I tell people, uh, I, it's a young adult ministry. <laughs> and, and they go, really? I go, yeah. They just get paid a little more than your average young adult. But at the same time, they struggle with all the same issues consistently that I hear from young adults all over the place, in the church, outside the church, on a team. Um, but it's really an honor, too, that, you know, the NBA is a business. Yeah. And here it is. Uh, it's a franchise, a business, and it makes a lot of money. 
and yet they found a value for uh, spirituality. And so it's an honor that we get to sit at that table with, with that open door. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can have all the fame, all the money, but man, these guys get it all, have all yeah. their dreams come true, and then they realize, man, there's something still missing. 100%. That is so true. Yeah. And they they know all the pressures that they've got, and um, they're just, they just know that the quicker they get to the NBA, the more they realize, I have it all, but I don't have it all. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So we got we to gotta fill in... Uh, our listeners on a little secret. You and I went to high school together. <laughs> we uh, did. This, this, so we've known each other for a few years. All right. Yeah. So um, and we won't say how many years, but anyway, <laughs> uh, we Thank went you. to a Christian high school. Yeah. <laughs> we went to a Christian high school together that actively taught uh, that the gifts and the infilling of the Holy Spirit were not for today. Um, yet we met recently and you told me about an encounter you had with Holy Spirit eight years ago. I had I had a similar encounter with the Holy Spirit um, more years than that ago, but but talk to us about that moment and what's happened to you since then. Yeah, wow, that's uh, I would say that was as defining as the day I said yes to Jesus. Mm. Um, and and in its own unique way, I would say as profound. Um, I, you know, I always grew up where the gospel was say yes to Jesus, so that when you die, you don't go to hell. You right, know, right. and that's. Yeah. That's why I think I went forward at youth group at least 30 times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I got to make sure, you know. Um, and so my idea of the gospel was always, you know, get saved and God wants to save you from sin. And what I didn't realize was that he wanted to save me to something as well. So good. And so later in my Christian life, I was like, well, what is the saving to that he has for me? And, mm. and how the Holy Spirit is a vital piece to that. He he saves us from sin, but he also saves us to a supernatural life and yeah. power through the spirit. Well, I didn't hear that a lot in my faith upbringing. And what I was given was here's all the things to do. And and we always say the the cliche, well, what would Jesus do? Yeah. And think at the end of the day, how how ridiculous does that sound? Yeah. You're really telling people, go be God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a setup for failure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, seriously, that's that's what we've been communicating all these years is here's Jesus. He's perfect. Oh, yeah. Go do that. Yeah, exactly. On your own strength and your own merit. And and I think that's why, you know, for me, it, it, eight years ago, I was burnt out. And uh, and literally was that to a point I couldn't get out of bed, physically mm. could not get out of bed. It was just the weight um, of, of trying to lead. It was a way to trying to navigate my own personal faith. And I just was at the end of my rope. Um, I tried my hardest to serve God as faithfully as I could. Um, endless hours. I'm trying to be obedient. So here I am laying in bed, just totally burnt out. And um, we were actually going through the gospel of John in a sermon series. And I remember laying in bed thinking, I got I to gotta preach a sermon. Oh, I have nothing. <laughs> I have nothing in me. I think every pastor can relate to that. Yeah. Sundays are coming. Sundays are coming. And sometimes you just have it. Sometimes you don't. But here I was totally, I think, burnt out. I grab my Bible and I'm thinking, okay, where are we at? What do I got to preach on this weekend? I start flipping through the Gospel of John and I start reading about the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I remember sitting there in bed going and just an honest conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, I, I can't preach on what I've not experienced. Wow. I can't preach on on who the Holy Spirit is. I don't think I have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And 
And I started reading about the Holy Spirit is there to, as your paraclete, to come alongside, to lift you up. And I started reading that going, wait, I need that. I, I don't need to preach that. Like, I need, I need, I need that mm. for myself. So I, I simply just prayed this desperate prayer. I said, Holy Spirit, I need you. Yeah. That was literally all I said. I said, I need you, Holy Spirit. And in that moment, I had an encounter. I've never had this in my life. I sat up out of bed, almost like something grabbed me and sat me up and started laughing. Wow. And I just started laughing. And it wasn't like a hysterical laughing. It was almost like you and I hanging out and we're talking and sharing jokes. And there was just like a joy and just like a, a fellowship around each other. Yeah. It was that laughter. And, and at the same time, the laughter was there, but also the, all the weight, like it felt like somebody just took a, a truck off my chest mm. and I felt this just burden go away. I felt this rejuvenation of a peace and rest. It was, it was like, wait, what's going on? This is surreal. Five minutes ago, I was probably going to bail and quit being a pastor and, and pack it all up. But here I am, like this adrenaline's going through my body. I have this joy. I have this peace. And so I get up out of bed and of course my wife's downstairs. She doesn't know about any of this going on. So I walk down, she looks at me before I said a word, she goes, what happened to you? And I said, I think I just experienced the Holy spirit. And then her immediate response, she goes, pray for me. I want that too. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, she just could clearly see something had happened wow. and she said, Oh, wow. I don't want to miss that too. Let me, let me have what you have. Um, so that was the beginning. And, and then I, what I did in that moment, I said, Holy Spirit, I don't know you. I don't know you. I just experienced you, but um, I want to get to know you. So I grabbed my Bible. I spent probably about six months and I just read from Genesis to Revelation, mm. every mm. passage that had to do with the Holy Spirit. And every time I just kept reading over and over, I said, oh, my goodness, there was so much of the life that Jesus promised and why he came, why he saved. This is the two life that he saved us for. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, I can't. It, I, I tell people it's like this. It's like going to Disneyland your whole life. And, but you only get a ride. It's a small world. <laughs> and all you know about Disneyland. And then you're 30 years old and somebody takes you around the rest of the park. And you're like, wait, this was here the whole time. Somebody's been holding out on me. And that's exactly how I feel is the Holy Spirit and the life that Jesus promise we would have with the spirit. It's been here the whole time. He promised that. But I think in some of our faith paradigms, we only let people have it's a small world and, and there's <laughs> more. So that's, that kind of summarizes my journey. Wow. That is, that is amazing. That is so cool. So what advice would you give to a pastor that is, that's feeling tired, they're feeling worn down and, and man, they, they need that kind of instant refresh like you're talking about. I, I think the first thing we all have to, it's, it's a vulnerable thing, but we all have to be honest with the fact that we don't have what it takes. Yeah. Like a, a straight, flat, I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have the best brilliance. I don't have all the top strategies. I don't even have all the answers. I, I, I'm not even the best preacher all when it comes to just me apart from the spirit. Right. And, right. and now it is, I mean, every time I preach, I'm standing on the stage before I open my mouth. I just sit there and I, Holy Spirit. If you don't preach, I'm not preaching in your power. It's just going to be, mm. it's going to be nothing compared to what you can do. And I sit in meetings now and I just, before I used to like talk <laughs> a lot, because that's what we do as pastors and leaders. We just fill the air with a lot of talking. Yeah. Now more, I'll sit and listen and I'll actually ask Holy Spirit, what are you wanting me to say? Is there a thought you want me to have? And 
just that even posture alone, the Lord has spoken to me at times. There's been multiple times I actually hear the Holy Spirit say, you know, shut up. <laughs> you don't need to do any talking right now. And I know it's him. So I, I think it's just that daily walk in the spirit um, and letting him really have control and realizing the stamina that comes from walking in the spirit. So I would just encourage pastors, be honest. We don't have what it takes. We really don't. We really don't. We yeah. just, you know, but but with the Holy Spirit, we have every qualification he wants us to have. And so lean in hard, hard on what he wants to offer. That is so good. That's awesome. Well, talk talk us about that the revelation that you got to on Galatians three three because I mean that was powerful. That one rocked my world. So as I'm reading through from Genesis Revelation, I get to Galatians three, and this was I would say the one passage that stood out more than all of them. Mm. And it's where Paul is addressing the Galatians, and he says, "You fools!" And that's strong language. Yeah. He says, "You fools!" And he says, "Who has bewitched you?" You started in the spirit, but now you're trying to live in the flesh. Wow. And I went, oh, that's me. I've been doing this whole Christian leadership faith thing all in my own, my own flesh, my own strength and my own hard work. And Paul actually says, that's foolish. That's, that's foolish to think that God's given you provision through the spirit. It's almost as if Jesus, if he was here today, in the same way he told the, the disciples, don't go and do anything yet until the Holy Spirit comes. Imagine if they had looked at Jesus in that moment and said, no, we're going to go ahead and do things right now. We, we're not going to wait for the spirit. Like they would have been so out of line. And I, yet I think that's pretty much how we function today as Christian leaders. Right. It's like we, we look at Jesus and go, thanks for the Holy Spirit. I'll take it from here. Yeah. So that was a conviction in my heart that um, that needed to happen. Like that was a, a, a drastic turning point for me to go, man, I've been leading out of the flesh. And I've been leading people out of the flesh. I think that's the weight I was feeling like, oh, wow. my goodness. These people deserve not to have a flesh-driven leader, but a spirit-driven leader. I've been robbing them of a better leader in me through the spirit. And I was really felt convicted by that. Wow. I, I think that's such, that's such a timely, timely word for, I think, for the church today. And I, what I love about that passage in Galatians 3.3, I mean, you and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Man, I went back and reread that passage again, and I was like, man, I got to see this again. And it, it says, man, you started in the Spirit, so, but then you somehow shifted into the flesh. He's not talking sin. He's talking about your own yep. efforts, right? Yep. And yep. and I think what is what is key about that for all of us is going, man, it's it's time now to go, okay— and being spirit filled, like for you, was just saying, Holy Spirit, help. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a big deal. It wasn't a, you know, something fancy. It was just like help, and He came exponentially to you. And I think, I think that's so cool. And I know there's pastors that are listening to this and going, man, I, I need that boost of strength. Maybe I've shifted that way. They feel that little conviction, saying, hey, just reach out and say, Holy Spirit, help, because man, he, that's what He's there for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it. I think the other thing too with that is. We, we, I think we communicate a false Jesus uh, if we're not careful, because we can look at the deity of Jesus and say, you know, he did all these miracles and, and all those things. Um, and, and if we're not careful, um, we can rob Jesus of his dependence on the spirit. Right. And, and when we, when we miss that component and Jesus has us follow him, well, to be a follower of Jesus means to follow in step with the Spirit the way He did, right. and 
I mean, he had all of his victory and all of his miracles um, through the Spirit. And then you see that consisting in the Gospels. He, Jesus proclaims that himself. Luke tells us in Acts 10 that, that, that the Holy Spirit was anointed on him. And that's why he did the works that he did. And so I think what we have to do is when we're telling our, the people we're leading to go out into the world and represent Jesus, mm. I think we have to represent Jesus first as a Jesus who leaned on the Holy Spirit, once they have that view, now we can say, okay, go follow like that. Right. But to, to tell them, hey, here's a Jesus that's perfect, um, but not let them have the source of power they need to follow him, I think we set them up for failure. Right. Wow. So good. All right. So so now you're, you're spirit-filled, your churches as well, uh, yet you're still reaching the lost at, at crazy rate. So Talk to us about that. Is it possible for the church to be spirit-filled and seeker-sensitive at the same time? <laughs> That's such a good question. <laughs> uh, I, it's, and it's a good one for us to, to look at here in Portland. I think part of it is, um, so remember when Paul was writing in, in, to the Corinthians and he was giving them instruction on how services should look, and he's talking about prophetic, he's talking about tongues. Yeah. But he basically handle yourselves in such a way that when non-believers come in, they'll say, God is in this place. Mm. And I think that the thing that we have to offer that no other thing in the world could ever offer, no other, you know, Nike's not going to offer an encounter with God. Um, no bar is going to offer an encounter with God. Uh, no school can offer an encounter with God. So the thing, the church that we get to offer the world as distinct as anything else is an encounter with God, that God is in this place. Yes, yes. And I think what I'm finding here in the Northwest is people have just been looking for churches where they're welcome to experience God. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give you an example what I mean by that. So the last thing we're told to do in seeker-sensitive churches is actually have people pray in church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, don't do that, you know? Like, let's make it as comfortable. That's going to make people feel super awkward. Don't you dare have them, like, raise their hand for prayer. You know, just give them coffee, let them be happy and sit there. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's the conferences I went to yeah. was just make it as, you know, let's lower the Jesus bar. Let's give them Jesus light. Let's make them as unoffended as possible. And, and, but here's the direction we're going. I'll give you one, one example. So about a couple months ago, we started really saying, Hey, how do we open up prayer sometimes in our services and mm. just say, Hey, is anybody here that's struggling? If there's anybody here you're wrestling, like you don't have to tell the world what it is, but if you're here, just lift your hand up and, and we'll have people lift their hands up and then we'll say, okay, whoever has their hand up, people just come around them and just pray over them. You don't even need to know all their secrets, but just pray over them. Yeah. I'll never forget. And of course you're not supposed to do that in a seeker driven culture, but there was a Sunday where a, a gal, a young adult, she's probably 22, brought one of her closest friends. Her closest friend is a lesbian, and her last church she was at was told she wasn't welcome there. Mm. And so here's this this young girl who's trying to figure out where she belongs and where she could ask you know questions. But her obviously sexual identity and and whatever preference, most churches were not giving her that place to to feel safe. And so um, she came to church that day. Now I didn't know any of that about her until later. Right. Well, that Sunday. This, this girl, the lesbian that friend that was invited by her friend, she raised her hand. Wow. She raised her hand, and she was just struggling with something in her life. I think it had to do with some family dynamics. So that day, she raised her hand, and a group of people came around her and prayed, and none of them knew her story. None of them knew 
that she was a lesbian. None of them knew that. She'd just simply say, could you pray for me? Mm. So they prayed for her and just blessed her. And then on her way out, she looked at her friend that invited her to church. And she said, I've never felt so much love in my life. Wow. And, and what we really were understanding was in that moment, people are hungry for those encounters. They really are seekers want to experience a community where they know God is real, God is present, and, and that there's an opportunity for them to step in and experience the body life and how the Holy Spirit works through all of that. Um, and I think we, we rob people of those experiences if we just try to water everything down because we think they're going to be offended when actually they're looking for a spiritual place to come and experience God. So That's so good. Well, I think in a, in a seeker-driven world, uh, you know, people are hungry, but they're hungry for encounters with God. And I think how cool that the church has the honor to be the distinct place, unlike any other place in the world, to offer them that. So that's what we have to champion, I think. That is so good. I, I love that you've highlighted that and that, you, that you're focused on that, because I think the, the misconception out there is that the, the seeker-sensitive church or the, the churches that are reaching the lost are, are having to compromise in some way. And you're saying, no, 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 we don't have to compromise. In fact, they're coming in looking for something real. Uh, yeah. And the fact, you know, I, I think as well, that uh, someone is coming in who's unchurched, they they were bold enough to walk into the church, which is yeah. takes enough courage in and of itself, especially if they haven't been there before, that yeah. they're not coming to have th- something watered down. They're coming looking for something. And, and so, you know, to, to have this idea that it, in order to reach the lost, we have to compromise in some way. Absolutely not. No, let's let's no. give them Jesus. Exactly. Give them Jesus. And I think what I've understood, at least here in the Northwest, people are hungry for truth. And so they love it, you know, truth and love. I think some pastors can say, hey, I am communicating truth. I would say maybe the delivery isn't as in loving as possible. Yeah. But but non-believers are really like they have amazing questions. Like they really have great questions. And I think they're looking for someone who's going to be really straight with them and honest. And um, I think we have the opportunity to do that as well, too. So good. Man, that's so good. So, so tell me, how, at Grace Chapel, how many salvations or baptisms did you have in the last year? That's a great question. So we, what we try to do, um, you know, there's always those ones that you can try to get on paper and, and try to be intentional with. And then there's the ones you just, you know, they happen and you hear about them later, which is awesome, yeah. very organically um, through all of our ministries. But I would say to give a, an estimated summary in the last year, we've had uh, our church, I uh, was just looking at these numbers uh, yesterday. Um, we have right now currently about 1,250 adults. And um, this last year, we had about 150 new people added. Of those 150, I would say that we easily, easily were up around 75 to 100 new new decisions to follow Christ. Wow. Um, and that's, I think, to be honest, Kelly, too, one of the things that the Lord impressed upon me was, how many sermons I've given but never gave the opportunity for someone to actually make a decision mm. and lead people right to the throne room, but never invite them through the door. Yeah. And, and I just, I felt convicted. And so I've tried to be better at that. Um, I don't do it every Sunday as much as, but I've been more consistent this last year to say, Hey, if you don't know Jesus, today's your day. And we just want to give you the opportunity to say yes to that. And um, I think that's one of the reasons we've seen higher numbers in, in our past people saying yes. And that's not just me. That's our, our youth leaders are killing it. They're multiple times their youth groups are saying, hey, 
you want to know Jesus, let's, let's do this. So I think we have to um, give people the opportunity to actually respond. Yeah, and then that's, I, that's I, so I, true. You know, I think with this last year, we probably had over 50 baptisms. Um, so that's about kind of what we've seen this last year. That's cool. That's cool. And and I, it's interesting that you say that your I mean your numbers go up when you start doing the ask. What it also does for uh, for the people that are in your church on a regular basis, if you're doing a consistent ask, ask yeah. they're they're typically it spurs them to invite a little bit more because they know, hey, um, pastor's going to give the call this week. We we know it. My friend's going to get saved, and so I'm more bold in in inviting as well. You know, it's funny you say that because we we just did a series all summer on revival and. I asked everybody on Sunday morning through all of our services, I said, is there anybody here that has a loved one, a friend, a family member that doesn't know Christ that you're praying for? And easily I'd see 90% of hands go up in the room. So then I go, what are we doing to partner with you? Um, You know, obviously you have your work to do as as a follower of Christ in their life. You have way more influence, but they're, they're asking us like, pastor, would you give the opportunity? So if I invite them, we can work together on this. And so I think it's listening more to that heartbeat that people in our churches actually really do have loved ones, friends. They desperately want to see come to know Jesus. And so we got to partner together. Yeah, that's so good. All right. So tell me about somebody in the church that, that was, is unchurched and yeah. came in, uh, made a decision for Christ and now following Christ. Their life changed, changed. They became born again. So yeah, somebody that that you've seen come to Christ that has quite the testimony. Uh, I would say there's a, there's a few of them. Um, one of them is a is a guy named uh, named Jake, and uh, I'll just leave his last name out. Yeah. But uh, he was a guy that was a professing, I think, atheist. Okay. Uh, a couple, he would have probably said that the friends that he hung out with would have said, "Oh yeah, we would have known him as probably an atheist." Um, certainly no desire in his life showed for God or anything like that. And, um, but he came, he came on an Easter and, uh, was his first, uh, so somebody had invited him again through that relationship, someone who had been just investing in him personally, and then finally invited him to come to Easter. And, uh, and he gave his life to Christ that day. And then from that moment on, he started inviting people. Other people started coming to church. Uh, he started, he invited his fiance. And just became super sold on fire. And wow. he's a massive person of influence. So uh, I don't want to say what he does, but he's a he's a significant person of influence. And he's been super bold about his faith and and just leveraged his platform. And now there's other people who are watching him and they're going, wow, we've seen this massive difference in this guy from before being this atheist. And now he's he's all in. He wants to do a mission trip this summer. Wow. Uh, he just sold out, and uh, and I love seeing that contrast. It reminds me of like the woman at the well, yeah. Where you know she has the encounter with Jesus, and then goes back, and the whole community now is transformed because of her testimony. That's this that's this guy. His whole community is being transformed by his testimony. So that's amazing. I love those stories. That's why we do what we do. That, that's, that's so cool. Well, recently when you and I had coffee together, um, you talked about. Uh, an urgency that you're sensing right now for the church. So talk to us about that urgency, what you're sensing. Yeah, I think um, a lot of pastors I've been talking to are feeling the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, that um, we don't know the timeline with with the planet. We don't know the timeline with Jesus's return. Um, none of us really know that. And we can look for signs or we can look for things like that. But 
I think what I'm sensing from a lot of folks is there's an urgency right now of we have to make the most of every opportunity. Yeah. And um, we really need to count every day as as a day either for the kingdom or we wasted it. I mean, it's that sounds pretty extreme. But I, I think that that's a that's a good accountability to have is like, what did I do today? Did I did I do anything today in partnership with the spirit that I'm not going to look back and go, I squandered that. That's so uh, good. I think that's where I'm at. You know, I don't want to project that onto everybody's in a, in a legalistic way at all. But I think there's a, an OK accountability with man. Time is short. Mm. Um, and I, I think what it, what hits me, too, is anybody who has loved ones that don't know the Lord, whether it's a friend or neighbor. You're, you're kind of in this desperate place where you would say, I'll do anything right now if, it, if that means them coming to Christ. And I think as pastors, what I've noticed in my own life is the bigger my church gets, the more I have to manage internally. And the more I manage internally, I, I'm disconnected from non-believers. Right. And if I'm disconnected from non-believers, I'm not going to live with that same tension of, man, this is my, my best friend. This is like my, my neighbor that I've really gotten to know. So... I think for me and for a lot of pastors, as we develop the relationships and we work hard to get out of the insulation of our churches, the urgency increases because we're living with real names, real faces, real relationships. It's not statistics. It's like, man, I'm talking about John. I'm talking about Bill. I'm talking about about Sally that I just hung out with, and it breaks my heart that she doesn't know the Lord. Yeah. And I think that's given me a deeper urgency is because I have the personal relationships with people. That I, I it's like, come on, they got to know Jesus today. Like this, I can't live with the fact that they don't know Him. That that bothers me. I yeah. want them to be in that place of right relationship. So I, I think for me, the Lord's given me more of a, an urgency because I have more people in my life that don't know Christ. I maybe it's being a chaplain with the Blazers. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm trying to be more intentional in our community. Um, I'm trying to get out of the insulation of of our ministry, and and I think the Lord's really given me an urgency because of that. Wow, that's so good. I, I love that. I love your heart with that. And and I, I sense the same thing. So, I mean, as soon as you said that, man, I, I feel the same thing. I've talked to a lot of other pastors that are feeling the same thing. It's one of the reasons why uh, we're yeah. launching this podcast, because we just really feel, man, let's 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 get together. And what what if we could, you know, spark more soul winning in, in churches and, and get the church on on mission and, and help each other to do, uh, you know, to reach more and to, and to be more effective in that way. So, man, I, I really, really appreciate it. This has been so good and so good to connect with you again. Is there anything that I should have asked, but, but didn't? <laughs> no, I think, well, you know, let me, let me share one last little, little story and, um, I'll wrap up with this, but one of my neighbors, his name is Bill and Bill's just inked up, you know, tattoos, his whole body. And Bill was, uh, He's from Hawaii, and he tells me he's part of the Hawaiian mafia, <laughs> which I guess if you're going to be part of a mafia, why not be a part of a Hawaiian mafia? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, but Bill, Bill was a bouncer at a strip club. And so Bill is not your like church person <laughs> at yeah. all, right? Yeah. And uh, I was coming home one Sunday, and Bill was in his park, in driveway next door, and, and he called me over. So I walked over to Bill, and he just started sobbing. Wow. And Bill's the toughest guy I know. And he said he just lost his sister. His sister just died. Wow. And Bill puts his head into my my neck. And I mean, this is the toughest, baddest dude in the neighborhood. And he starts sobbing. Wow. And I'm just holding him in his driveway. And I just started talking to him about, man, just having peace with God. And God could be your comforter. And I said, man, I'd love to have you come to church, too. And this is what he said to me. And I think this is the saddest thing I ever heard. He said, Mike, 
can someone like me ever come to your church? Mm. And I guess, Kelly, for me, there's a world of people who think they don't belong in church. Yeah. And they want it so bad. And they somehow, I don't know if it's what we've communicated, I don't know what's the enemy's blind in them, all that together. There's a world out there of non-believers who are waiting for believers to just let them cry on their shoulder, just, just be close with them and let them know how much God loves them because they think God would never love them for what they've done. Right. And I think, I think there's a lie in our, in our culture right now that's permeating non-believers that somehow they are the exception to God's love. Right. So I guess for me, what I, what I question I would ask is to leaders especially is, who do you know that's out there that's waiting for you to be that kind of person for them mm. to, to communicate and demonstrate they are not the exception to God's love. They are the reason he sent his son to die. And, and if we can live with that burden, they're all around us. They're just waiting. Nonbelievers are waiting for us to have that conversation with them. Maybe that's what I would ask. Wow. That is so, so good uh, and challenging for us all. And we need to create churches that are, are going to welcome and love anybody and everybody that walks through those doors. And Jesus is the hope for everybody. So we got to do whatever we can uh, <laughs> to connect them to Jesus, man. That's, that is awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. This has been so, so good. So where, where can our listeners connect with you online, uh, find you, follow you, learn what yeah. you're doing? Well, first of all, I think if they want to check out our ministry, uh, gracechapelonline.org is our website for our church. And uh, we post a lot of stuff up there from social media to messages. Um, you can follow me on my Instagram. That's a that's a big one. Or my Facebook. Uh, just Mike underscore Tatlock on Instagram. Um, those are probably the best ways to, to stay connected. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It's, it's great to have you on the program. And thanks for everything that you contributed. This has been so good. Well, man, thank you so much for your leadership. Seriously, for, for just uh, taking the initiative because uh, you're going to get momentum here. And I just bless that. And, and I know great fruit's going to come from this. Amen. All right. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks, brother. What a great conversation with Pastor Mike Tatlock. Wow. Uh, so, so good. What was your Love big it. takeaway? When he said God wants to save you from something, but he also wants to save you to something, is that there's something God set aside for you. He doesn't just want to rescue you from everything, right. but he's got something set aside specifically for you. That's so good. Yeah. And and that's all of us. Yeah. I mean, there's not one believer out there that God hasn't saved you for mm -hmm. something on purpose. I, I loved the part of the conversation where, and you could sense it in his voice as well and in the conversation about the urgency for the church in this time. Just mm. sensing that this is not a time to, to mess around. This yeah. is a time to press in. This is not a time to play church. This is a time to, to dig in and be the church uh, and to get active in reaching souls and, yeah. and advancing the kingdom forward. Uh, I really sense that as well, that there's an urgency, which is why one of the reasons why we're launching GoCast right. and talking about uh, GoCast and, and starting this conversation Yes. and uh, saying, okay, we we feel the urgency of the times and we need to get to work to do it. So yeah. uh, I love that. How do people connect with GoTeam and join GoCast, our GoCast team? Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest platforms we're running on, I, on iTunes. If you want to go ahead and hit iTunes, look up GoCast, rate and review these podcasts that you're listening to. It certainly helps get the word out there. 
Yeah, and we're also on Instagram, and we're on. We have a Facebook group as well. So just look up uh, GoCast there, and you can subscribe to both. That greatly helps us, and you can be part of the conversation of moving the church forward. Well, next week we have an amazing guest. Oh. We have uh, Rich Birch, who is uh, an author. Yep. He is a consultant. He's the founder of Unseminary.com. He's also been executive pastor for three mega churches, and he's just a wealth of information. Yes. And what an incredibly practical, inspiring conversation I had with him. And here's a clip of next week's episode with Pastor Rich Birch. Over the years in ministry, one of the things I noticed was there does seem to be a number of really practical things that hold churches back, that, that there's stuff that if we just did these things right, that they would make a difference. That the difference between kind of prevailing churches and stagnant churches, a lot of times it's not their mission, it's not, it's not their preaching, it's not their, you know, it's, it's not the stuff they teach in seminary, it's actually stuff they don't teach in seminary, it's communication and some of those things. And can't wait for next week's episode with Pastor Rich Birch. Thank you so much for joining us again at GoCast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of GoCast. We hope you feel inspired and better equipped to take your community for Christ. Make sure to subscribe to receive each new episode as it's released. Let's go and break the stat together.